our January sermon series is uh, called From Sunday to Every Day. And uh, we're talking about moving our Christian uh, and community values from a Sunday morning experience into our everyday lives. That's the idea of what we're talking about. Now, I think if, you've, if, if you're a regular at coming to Sunday, you have a, probably a Sunday ritual that you're kind of familiar with. And maybe um, you've, you've ever come to, to Sunday gathering in a foul mood. I don't know if that's ever been anyone's experience. I know that's definitely been an experience I've had. So I'll talk about me right now. And if there's any of you that can connect with that, you know. And for whatever reason, maybe you come in and, and you're in that foul mood. Maybe it was that the kids were irritating or they were bickering, you know, over breakfast or over getting dressed or whatever it was. Or maybe the spouse was slow and demanding. This is a different situation, not mine, of course. But maybe your spouse was slow or maybe demanding, maybe the other side. Or maybe you stayed up too late or maybe you woke up, uh, you slept in too long and now you're running behind. And for, and for whatever the pressures are, there's these Sunday arguments that come up on the way sometimes when you're driving with people or that happen maybe in your own head. If you're driving alone, you're battling something. And that's what happened. And maybe you walk in the doors and someone says to you, hey, how are you doing? In their happy Sunday smile. And you're like, maybe if you're like me, I usually am like, good. It's just my answer. It's like a default answer. How are you doing? Good. Or as Chris Bryant would say last week, I asked him, how are you doing? And he said, do you really want to know? <laughs> that's, a more, that's a better answer probably than a default good. And then we chat over coffee time and, and we have this small talk. But how deep do we go? How much do we really know about each other? And it's hard to break out of Sunday relationship where we've got this thing, you know, and, and maybe we choose the easier path, but lonelier of isolation where we don't really open up. We don't really let people in the walls and maybe it happens here or maybe at work or at school or maybe in marriage or maybe in your family or in friendship but I think it especially happens here in church community. And maybe we do this with God too. Maybe we give him Sunday morning. And maybe, you know, if we're we're really spiritual, we'll give him like a Sabbath day, a whole day. That's for you, God. That's your day. And then we wonder, you know, how does God, the one I gave my whole life to, how does he factor into all the other stuff in my life? My everyday coming and going, my breakfast and lunch and dinner and my laundry and my cleaning and my commute and my work and my sports and my leisure and my TV and my social media. How does God fit into all that other stuff? And that's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about today. Everyday relationships. It says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul writes this. He says, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, which is what we talked about last week, not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. And in the kingdom view of relationships, we're moving from Sunday surfacy, which apparently is not a real word, but I made it up. It's underlined in red on my computer. 
Sunday service to everyday heart, deep heart connections. That's the movement we're making in the kingdom. And it starts with God. Begins with God. God is relational. And you know this if you don't even have to be theological or spiritual or anything. You just have to look out the world. And the biggest possible things we can look at, which is like the universe, which if you really start to study it, you're like, whoa, okay, this is like billions and billions of stars and billions and billions of light years away and billions and billions of blah, 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 and on and on it goes. And you're like, oh my goodness, and God is bigger than that? And yet in the billions and billions of stars and all these galaxies and all this, this big, huge macro picture, we see relationships. We see this relationalness built in. We see planets and stars and moons all moving in orbit in relationship to one another. The moon moves around the earth and the earth moves around the sun and we get seasons and we get weather and we get tides and we get light and we get calendar all from these relationships. And if we go from the biggest possible thing we can see to the smallest possible thing we can see, now we have microscopes that look deeper and bigger and smaller, smaller and smaller and smaller. And when they thought we found the smallest thing, then they found smaller things. And all of those small, tiny, tiny things, those atoms down in the atom inside of all that, it's all relationship. Everything's moving in relationship to one another. The electrons move around the protons and the neurons. That's all I'm going to say about that, because that's all I know when I looked at those words. So I hope that's right. If you're a microbiology student, I hope that's right. But the truth is there's relationship. There's movement. Things are moving around each other, and God is relational. He was one God in three parts. The Trinity, this thing that is like hard to understand, is a picture of relationship. It's a relational concept that God was in relationship before the creation of the world. The Spirit hovers over the water. And John writes, and the Word, Jesus, was with God in the beginning. So you've got the Spirit and the Son and the Father all there at creation in relationship. Before we were made for relationship, we say all the time. And if God was in relationship and he made the world of relational elements, it stands to reason that we are made for relationship too. What's not good in creation? When God makes everything at the beginning, he's like, this is good. Oh, and the trees, that's good. And the, the water, that's good. And the, <laughs> the elephant, that's, that was a free sound effect for you. That, that's good. What's not good? That man should be alone. That's not good. And then how does God interact with us, with his creation? He comes and he walks in the cool of the day in the garden. It's relational. He's there relating. And then what happens after the fall? There's broken relationship. (sighs) The angel with the flaming sword at the gates, and we're outside, and God is still in the garden? Or what does God do? He keeps coming and finding us. In disguise, there's all these references to the angel of the Lord. It's like God's there in the tent with Abraham. He's talking with him, eating with him. And then God's over here talking with these people. God's over there talking with those people. God keeps coming. And it's the story of of Christmas and the gospel that Jesus comes. And Jesus has 
relationship. He's not a monk in a monastery somewhere. He's got all these friends. Everyone wants to be with Jesus. And Jesus is hanging out at people's house. Come to my house again, Jesus. Come, no, stay with us. Stay. No, come to this party. No, Jesus, come here. And the crowds get bigger and bigger. Everyone wants to be in relationship with Jesus. And he has friends, people he relates to. God in the flesh has friends that he relates to, that he's in relationship with. And God comes to restore our broken relationship. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What, what is it? That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Wow, what if we could have that same way to relate with people, that I wouldn't count their sins against them. <laughs> Wait, stop throwing things. Could we live like that? I mean, that's like crazy. Not counting people's sins against them. I can just imagine the devastation when, when the disciples of Jesus are there with him and Jesus says, I'm leaving. I'm not staying here. They think, well, you know, you're going to get old and you're going to be the king and, and this is going to be awesome. And Jesus says, no, I'm leaving. I'm going to die and then I'm going to rise and then I'm going to go and sit on the, at the throne with God. I can imagine their feelings. And we've talked about this before, you know, that, that he tells them it's going to be better and my response when I read that is like, how can anything be better than Jesus? If Jesus was sitting in this chair, <laughs> would that not be awesome? Like way better than this? Like Jesus. Hey, Jesus, do you want to say anything? You, here, you do, you do the sermon. Jesus, you want to heal anyone? Just, hey, we've got some questions. I, they were asking me some questions. Why don't you sit and talk to them, Jesus? Hey, I'm struggling with unbelief. Jesus, you're here. I can talk to you. What would be better than that? Doesn't that seem awesome? Jesus says, my spirit alive in you will be better than that. Better than that. My spirit in the old and the young, in the men and the women and the rich and the poor will be better than if I'm walking around. The giving of the Holy Spirit is the bridge to God in everyday life for you and for me. The Holy Spirit's the bridge. First Corinthians 3.16, Paul says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? You're like, what you're doing right now doesn't make me think you know this. God's Spirit is in you. Like, we're not going to go looking for Jesus. We don't make the annual pilgrimage to the temple because his spirit is alive in us. And we're not visiting the presence of God somewhere. Oh, Jesus is on a South American tour. Let's go. Come on, everyone. We got to get down to Brazil. That's where Jesus is. We want to be near Jesus. That doesn't happen because God's presence is alive in all of us. We're not afraid of the darkness. Oh, that place is pretty dark. All those people, I don't know about them. Because the light of the world is alive in us. How does this work every day? Paul gives us a whole bunch of verses. Galatians chapter 5, he says, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Or 525, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This sounds like it's continuing. 
walking, keeping in step. Those are things that happen regularly over and over and over. Every day I get up, I'm going to keep in step. I'm going to walk by the Spirit. And Jesus, when he's up in that that upper room with his disciples on that last night before he's betrayed, and he's telling them this, I'm going to leave. And they're like, what? And Jesus says this in John 14, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I've said to you. Oh, I don't know. Is that better than you here? Okay, 1526, but when the helper comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Mm, You're really going to go, Jesus? 1613, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. None of this sounds like God is, is satisfied with a Sunday morning chat or a song that I'm going to give him, and that's going to be enough. Not because God is demanding, but because God wants relationship every day with us, that ongoing everyday thing. We journey daily with the Spirit. We must, because this is where we get all the benefits that Jesus just listed for us. Where do we get that? From the Spirit. Yeah, I'm only going to eat once a week. It'll be good. It'll be fine. Lose some weight, you know, and then I'll start being an idiot because I won't have any food. You can't live like that. You won't survive. You won't thrive if you just eat once a week. We can't live by the Spirit once a week. It doesn't work. It's an everyday experience as we connect to God's heart. Secondly, it exposes me. Relationship exposes me. You know, we talk about, okay, God is relational, and so, um, you know, God offered himself to come and live in us, and so that's relational, and then I need to be relational with other people. So God God is relational, and I'm going to be relational with others. And the problem is that I'm in the middle of that. I'm here. That's the problem. I, I always thought being introverted meant being shy or, like, socially awkward. That's good. Only Phil laughed. That was good. That's what I thought introverted meant. And I wasn't introverted because I can be loud at a party, and I speak publicly. Obviously, I'm not introverted. And I hide my social awkwardness really well most of the time. And uh, you don't see it very often, but it comes out every once in a while. But I think I'm pretty good at that. And then in a marriage seminar, I found out that I am three parts introvert and one part extrovert, which explains a lot. My biggest discovery, though, it wasn't that being an introvert, uh, it didn't mean shy. What it meant is, and what I discovered, was that being an introvert means you get your energy from being alone. And extroverts get their energy from being with people. So introverts need to be alone, and extroverts need to be with people. And that's how it works. Why am I telling you all this? You're like, thanks a lot for the uh, update. The reason why I'm telling you that is because I am in the middle of this. You can't talk about relationship with God and others and not 
talk about yourself somehow. You're in the middle. I'm in the middle. I found this out when I got married. I said, I'm in the middle. And though one of the things I found is I was so happy to be married. It's so exciting. And then uh, we started into our life. We got back from the honeymoon. And I suddenly felt there was suddenly this little resentment that would come up every once in a while. I'd be like, I feel, oh, where did that come from? I love my beautiful wife. And I'm so happy to be married. I feel resentful. Where's this coming from? Be quiet. Stop. Where's that coming from? And I pushed it down, pushed it down. And then finally I was like, okay, I got to talk about this. So I shared it with Lauren and we started talking. And you know what we found out? I was with people all the time. We had one car. Lauren would drive me to work. We would wake up together. She'd drive me to work, drop me off at my job where I was teaching students and interacting with staff, lots of people, and then she would pick me up again. And I'd sit down in the car, and she'd say, how was your day? And we would talk, and then we wanted to be together because we were newly married, and so this was super exciting, so we planned to do everything together. And then we were together, 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 together. And the introvert part of me started being like, I need space. And I began to take it out on her. I felt resentful toward her. Understanding who I am is critical to my relationships. It's important to know who I am in my relationships. How am I going to share myself? Paul says we share our very selves. How are you going to do that if you have a whole load of unprocessed issues? If you don't even know what's going on inside of you? If you're dealing with rejection and you come in and you say, everyone, you know, they they see me like that and that's why no one talks to me. And and that person who just came up to me, they just feel sorry for me. And you experience this rejection. Or maybe it's shame. And you come in and you think, everyone's looking at me and they're judging me. And we carry these things. Or maybe it's fear. If I open up, if I share what's really going on, I I don't know what's going to happen. What if this? What if that? What if this? Or maybe it's pain or hurt or disappointment. I've been hurt by people like this before. So I'm going to keep that wall. I'm not going to let anyone in. Discovering who we are is part of the relational journey we make in Christ. To think that these things that make me who I am, that are part of my life experience, that they will not affect my everyday relationships with others and with God is naive. We had a speaker at our pastor and spouse retreat. Wow, dry mouth. Many years ago. Yes, please. Thank you. Um, We had this speaker come to our pastor and spouse retreat, and it was a person that I'd read their book already, so I was really excited he was going to be there. His name was Pete Scazzaro, and he wrote a book called Emotional Healthy Spirituality. And um, he shared in the book, and also when he was talking, he shared about they planted their church in New York, and it was focused on multi- um, multi-ethnic church, being a multi-ethnic church, and they had, you know, they started really well, and then they kind of hit this wall. And so he said, you know, okay, so then they went and they said, what should we do? What should we do? And the, he said, we said, well, we should pray more. We should pray more. Praying will fix it. And so they went and they started having prayer nights and fasting and praying and, and, and teaching about prayer and doing lots of prayer meetings and prayer things. And they, it still didn't seem to break through. 
And so they got back and they said, it doesn't, we still don't seem to be breaking through. And the worship people said, we should worship more. We need more worship nights. I said, yes, worship, that's it, of course. And so they had more worship nights and they taught on worship and they did more worship stuff and they taught, you know, lived in worship and all these things and they still kept hitting this wall. And then they would say, oh, let's try this thing. Or no, and they would focus on that thing. Let's try this thing and that thing. And they kept hitting this wall. And he said, finally, he realized, he said, I'm the wall. <laughs> I keep hitting me. I'm here in the middle of this, but I'm refusing to look inside and recognize what God is trying to do in me, the things that he's trying to heal in me, and I'm the wall. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. And as a jubilee community, we believe that God's heart is to set us free personally so that we can be part of his mission to love and serve the world. And that happens ongoing, that I experience freedom in another area and another area and another area. It's called sanctification is the big word. As I grow in becoming more like God, I become more and more free in all these different areas. The journey of relationship with God and others must, by definition, also be a journey of us becoming whole. That's the word for salvation. Sozo is a word. It means wholeness. Salvation is wholeness. That's my journey. And it means I learn to listen to Jesus to grow. I'm learning to hear and recognize his voice, and I'm spending time in his word, in confession, and in praise, and in thankfulness. And it means I engage with others to grow. That's hard because they're irritating me. Like, why? I feel like I need more patience. And God's like, yes, you do. Yeah, that's why I put them there. That guy right there, Brian. (laughs) And I'm learning to allow God to use others to help me to grow. And it means I spend time reflecting on what I'm learning And what I'm learning from others as I interact with them. And it means I'm changing. I'm not the same as I was. Grace means I'm being transformed. And I spend time in the spiritual disciplines and things that are helping me to grow and change. Trusting that Jesus is bringing wholeness. 1 Peter chapter 4 says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. And lastly, it flows out to others. There's a joke that uh, a guy wrote, and it was voted the best religious joke. Do you want to hear what it is? Yeah, you've probably heard it before. It's a very common one. He writes, "Uh, once I saw this guy on a bridge, and he was about to jump, and I said, don't do it. He said, nobody loves me. I said, God loves you. Do you believe in God? He said, yes. I said, are you a Christian or a Jew? He said, I'm a Christian. I said, me too, Protestant or Catholic. He said, Protestant. I said, me too. What denomination? He said, Baptist. I said, me too, Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? He said, Northern Baptist. I said, me too, Northern Baptist conservative or Northern Baptist liberal? And he said, Northern conservative Baptist. I said, me too, Northern conservative Baptist Great Lakes region or Northern Conservative Baptist Eastern Region? And he said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879? 
or Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912? And he said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region of 1912. I said, die, heretic, and I pushed him off the bridge. Why is it so hard for us to live together? That's a funny joke because it's true. <laughs> we just, we're, we're happy for any reason to divide. So, oh, yes, we're different that way. Good. Now uh, you, we can be set. We can, I can leave this relationship. Why is it so hard to stay together, to walk in unity somehow, even through our differences? How do we do that? You know what? Our, in, our, in our Canadian culture, this is not, it's not just a church problem, it's a Canadian problem. It's common for us not to know our neighbors anymore. And if you do know some neighbors' names, I would say, you know, we know some neighbors' names. But the question then I would ask is, do you know their stories? Do you know more about them than just their names? And mostly the answer would be no. No. The Vancouver Sun writes about unhappy Vancouver in December, December 1st, 2017. A Statistics Canada report not long ago found that Vancouver was the unhappiest city of the 33 Canadian municipalities it surveyed. And commentators surmised the lack of social connectedness was a major reason why. Compared to a survey they did in 2012, there were declines in the percentage of people who'd visited the local library or a community center or voted in a last municipal election or signed a petition or went to a cultural or ethnic event put on by an ethnic or cultural group different than their own or attended a neighborhood or community meeting or participated in a neighborhood or community project or attended a city council or a school board meeting. People just weren't connected. We all want community on some level. We all want connection. It's like a human need that we have, that we would be connected somehow. And this into this sense of purpose, into something bigger than just us or our lives. But people are increasingly isolated, not just in the world, but in the church. I think sometimes we think as Christians that the relational work of the church is optional. Like, yeah, I take it or leave it. Yeah, I, you know, I just show up late and I leave early. You know, it'll just happen if it's going to happen. The truth is that nowhere in the Bible is the church presented as anything other than connected. All the pictures of the church are about connection. The body, your body, connected. One part affects the other. Bang, you hurt your finger. Ow, you feel it. We're all hurting. My whole body's hurting. Or a building where all the bricks are stacked on top of one another. Jesus is the cornerstone. We're all built into this thing together. Pull out some bricks. What happens? We're connected. Or a family. We're adopted into a family. We're born again into a new family. Or a vineyard where all of these, you know, tresses and grapes are growing in a connected vine, Jesus. Galatians 6 verse 2 says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Ephesians chapter 4 says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with your neighbor, for we are members one of another. Or 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Therefore, encourage one another, build one another up. 
So what's one step I can make toward relationship? And the truth is we're all at different places. Some of us are like, yeah, more relationship. I love it. You're the extroverts. We want more. Yes. And some of us are like, I just barely got here, and I don't really know how many people I could talk to. And everyone's at the place where they're at. And so the journey is that we ask, how can we take a step forward? One step toward relationship. And so for everyone, it will look different. One step toward relationship. Is it to invite? Is it to share? Is it to meet? Is it to respond or listen or do lunch or coffee or dinner or a walk or just talk maybe? What's one step God would call you to? to step into relationship. We journey together. Whenever I hear the word journey, I think of our road trips as a family growing up because they were an experience. In the summer, we would drive down to Southern California where um, we had relatives. We had a a grandma and grandpa and some uncles and aunts that lived down there. My mom's from Hemet, California, which is between Palm Springs and L.A., and so this was like every couple years we would do this, but we'd like, you know, pack all the stuff and then we'd put it all on top of the station wagon. My dad would strap it down. You didn't want to be around when he was doing that. It's a lot of stress around that. And he'd tie it all down and then someone else would bring one more bag. Here, dad, you forgot this one. Thanks a lot. And then we'd shove all the kids into the station wagon, maybe a dog too sometimes. And, you know, seatbelts, what are seatbelts? And you put everyone in there and then... You're going down, you're on this trip, and you get to have fast food. We just, Dad, stop at McDonald's. Yes, McDonald's, finally. We've been waiting for this. And then the luggage gets stolen off the car while we're in the thing. Or then you get to have a motel swimming pool. Dad, stop at the motel with the swimming pool. When, once it's warm enough, we want to be at the hotel with the swimming pool. And then there's flat tires. And there's rest areas where you go, and it's so fun. You run around, and your parents are like, 15 laps of this rest area, okay, kids? And then we're also doing laps at the emergency room of the hospital when someone gets sick, right? And then there's vomit in the car. Like, I still can't drink Orange Crush. (laughs) There's a thing there, an experience that I've had. And angry parents when the kids are being so loud and you're like, why are you so mad, dad? Right? And now I'm the dad. I'm like, I know why I was so mad. Why are you so mad? What an experience. You're making memories. This is the word journey. We do it together, good and bad, the beauty and the pain, laughter and the heartache, and give it some time, and it all seems funny later. (laughs) Maybe not all of it, but lots of it can be funny later. A journey, a relational journey means we're going to need to work through conflict together instead of running away. And it will mean we need to communicate instead of give the silent treatment. Like, oh, you're going to read my mind and know what's bothering me. Or the retreatment, where we retreat and hope someone's just going to notice. We'll need to reach out instead of hide or ignore what's going on, what what we're feeling and dealing with. I want to encourage you to join a small group. We're doing Sunday morning gatherings. We're doing small groups, and we do service. Those are the three things we're doing. We're keeping it simple. And so we focus on those three things. If you're not part of a small group, get, join a small group. That's where we have lots of relationship, where people get to know you and your story. And we begin that connection. 
I'm reading Lord of the Rings with the kids. I've told you this already, but the older kids, yeah, yeah. Not Miriam's not into the Lord of the Rings yet. I'm working on her. Miriam, don't you love orcs? And uh, there's one part where as the, there's this fellowship and they're all going, if you don't know the story, they're all going to destroy this ring. And Frodo, the hobbit, he has the ring and he's carrying it and they're all going together. And then at one point, the fellowship of the ring splits apart. And Frodo and Sam, they go off together and two other hobbits are captured and the other ones are standing there and they're like, we failed. They're going on and that's the job we needed to do and we don't even know part of it. And these other ones are captured. Like, we should just give up, I guess. And then Aragorn, out of the man and the elf and the dwarf, says, No, as long as we have breath in our bodies, we will go after our friends and we will rescue them. And that's what we're meant to do. And the amazing thing about the story is that that is the story. It's not a side story. It is the story. It's part of the victory that comes at the end. The decision they make to pursue relationship, not just the task, the job. Let's get the job done. But it's not a side story. Relationship is not a side story. When we get through all this relational junk, then we'll really get on mission here. Then we'll really be doing stuff for the kingdom. No, this is the story. This is the mission that we would be walking in relationship. Another great story, Star Wars. Rose says at the end of The Last Jedi, she says, I saved you, dummy, and that's how we're going to win. Not fighting what we hate, but saving what we love. You got to quote Star Wars somewhere, right? <laughs> I like it, though. Saving, we're going to be saving what we love. We're not just fighting against something. Just rebuke the darkness. Just fight that darkness. No, we push for. We bring transformation and we have community impact and we do all these things because we're about restoration in the kingdom. We're about relationship with one another. And so that's what we're focused on. In the kingdom view of relationship, we're moving from Sunday surfacy to everyday deep heart connection. We believe here in Jubilee that sharing our very selves, as Paul says, In everyday relational journey, this is the mission. This is what we're doing. Sharing our very selves. And we do it with God, who is relational, who's offered us by his spirit to come and live inside of us, to be as close to us as our innards, to live inside us and lead us by his voice, to receive his grace and to learn to listen. This is what we're about. And out of ourselves, We're in the middle of this, you and I. We can't get away from it. When we started church planting, they said, people say all the time, church planters say, oh, we're going to plant a church that's not about me. It's about God, just about God. And they'll say, no, it's about you too. You're there. You can't, you need to realize that you're there. You're a part of it. And we realize in relationship, we're a part of this. We can't escape it in all of our glory and our mess. We can't reach out well without going into our own heart with Jesus and allowing him to bring healing and wholeness. The freedom that we're telling people about is also meant for us. And it flows out to others because we're hungry for connection in life. The church is the body of Christ meant to be connected to one another. This means a lot of work and it also will result in a lot of joy. Let's pray. 
Jesus, I thank you that you are relational, that the, the picture we have of you in Scripture that as the image of the invisible God is a relational human, that you came and when you became human, you were relational. And that in every part of the story of you, God, we see you as being relational. We also see that it's something you want for us with one another. And so, Jesus, I ask that you would come. Lord, that where uh, relationship feels scary or hard or threatening, Lord, that you would come and bring peace over us. Where we've struggled in relationship, where people have hurt us, where conflict has been painful, Jesus, would you come and bring healing? Thank you that you want to set us free. And Jesus, I ask that you would help us as a community, as Jubilee, to be able to take little steps toward relationship. That we would be able to walk together as your body, as your bride, as you, would ha- as you want for us to be. That we would be able to support and encourage one another, bear one another's burdens. Thank you, Jesus that your spirit alive in us enables us to do this, that you lead us and you empower us. Amen.